ora e huoma, no mai haere mai, welcome to the Femporium, your one-stop shop for all things femme and fantasy and sci-fi literature. I'm your host, Tori, and I'm absolutely delighted to be back in front of a microphone. I did miss last month's episode, I ended up just not really having time to actually write up my notes and record. Um, also, I have a little bit of a life update, and that is that I've started studying for my masters. I'm pretty excited, but it does mean that I'm going to be a little bit strapped for time for the foreseeable future. Um, I'm going to try to stick to one episode a month, plus a special episode for the $10 Patreon supporters, but please be patient with me if I don't always have time to do additional reading on top of my coursework. Okay, so with that out of the way, this week's episode is uh, on A Hatful of Sky. It's another Terry Pratchett novel. It's the next book, the second book in the Tiffany A. King series within the Discworld universe. Um, so this novel was published in 2004. I would have been 13 at the time, and I probably read it not long after that. I think I did read it when it came out, and I haven't read it since. So this was um, this was a lot of fun, much like the last one. And I think the uh, Wintersmith is the next one. And I did read that one when it first came out. And then after that, it'll be new reads for me. Um, which will be cool. Those will be some fun episodes. So let's get straight into it. Uh, we open on Tiffany getting ready to leave home to go and live with an older witch to learn proper witching. Um, and she's learned a new trick that she calls See Me. It's kind of like an astral projection that she uses to see herself because she only has a very small mirror. Uh, so she kind of, uh, she finds this trick like kind of on accident and pretty easily because there's a part of herself that was always watching her. And that kind of connects Tiffany with another Discworld character, Sam Vimes. Uh, Commander Vimes is also a character who's always watching himself. And both of these figures um, are characters that Terry Pratchett is known to have written himself into. So that kind of links them um, as well. Uh, before she leaves, she goes up to where her grandmother lived to say goodbye. She says, I'm going away. I will come back. I promise I will come back better than I went. So off she goes to live with a witch called Miss Level, who has one mind shared by two separate bodies. Um, part of witching is that they're not allowed to charge money for it. So they're also expected to have like a real job on the side, which in Tiffany's case is making cheese. Uh, I think we did talk about that in the last episode. Um, conversely, wizards generally earn good money and their work is far less practical while they make a lot more flash and noise about what they do. Um, looking back at the We Free Men episode, and it comes up a lot in A Hatful of Sky as well, about what it actually is that witches do. The fact that they don't take payment seems to be a pretty clear allegory for the unpaid labour that disproportionately falls on women, as well as those industries where women are overrepresented and massively undervalued and underpaid. Um, we do meet a few witches in A Hatful of Sky who believe that witches should be paid for their work, which is interesting in this context. Uh, if it's simply a question of whether these women should be paid for their labour, then yes, they're 100% correct. On the other hand, the witches advocating for getting paid 
are peddling a very different kind of witchcraft. That is, it's wizardry performed by women. And in this universe, wizardry is pretty much entirely useless to the communities that witches serve. In fact, the witches, the wizards of Discworld are mostly useless to most people. Like, they're, they're basically wanky academics. Like, witches fill a particular role in their communities, and the witches who advocate for pay are basically saying, no to that. Here's some academic-sounding flim-flam instead. That'll be $600, thanks. It's a, it's a really interesting dynamic. Like, on the one hand, you have witches doing like shitty but necessary work in their communities, and they know what they're getting into when they take on the role, and they absolutely deserve to be paid. But they also know the communities they serve don't have money. It, it, like, it sucks. And then you have these other witches who actually want to make witching more like wizardry, and they're pushing this idea that it's what witching should be. It's, it just kind of feels like internalized misogyny. Like, they're looking at what the wizards are doing and going, oh, they're making real money, so it must be better or more valuable or more real magic. But they're kept out of that field, so instead of being able to go and do the kind of magic they want to do and be able to flourish at that, they want to change witchcraft, not realizing that unpaid doesn't equal unimportant or unnecessary. Um, so these, like, high magic witches end up being kind of like those super privileged, hyper educated wankers who like to take part in voluntourism or like rock up to what they consider to be a poor and impoverished country and go, I'm here with my colonial book smarts and money. I've come to save you and bring you into the modern capitalist world. You're welcome. And never once actually talk to the locals like human beings about what they actually need. It's <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, so Tiffany's learned to leave her body she's gone to live with an older witch to learn from and she's met a group of other young witches uh, and the two that we most get the most face time with are Anagramma and Petulia and they're basically polar opposites <laughs> um, so Anagramma is apprentice to the witch who wants to do wizard style magic and is also just a fucking bully uh, I don't think it's ever explicitly stated but I'm pretty sure this is the first time Tiffany's had, like, a friend group. And she's getting to know women from outside her family. So that's quite important in this book. And I think it carries through Tiffany's other books as well. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Twitter account Men Write Women, I highly recommend giving them a follow because um, I'm sure most of us have seen some truly incredible examples of men trying to write women that make you wonder if they've ever encountered a human woman in their entire life. Uh, thankfully, Terry Pratchett is not one of those men, so we get these very nuanced and dynamic relationships between the women in Tiffany's life. We kind of get the like somewhat awkward and strained relationship between Tiffany and Jeannie. She's the new Kelda. So you'll remember in the last book, Tiffany was very briefly the Kelder for the Fegels who live on the chalk, and part of that meant being engaged to rob anybody. So now Jeannie is married to Rob, and even though Tiffany was a child and had no intention of ever marrying Rob, there is some like weird lingering tension over that. 
Um, not only that, but Jeannie is young herself. She's a new Calder, and usually that role is assumed when the old one dies. So she's not usually still alive and kicking and being watched over by her old clan, you know, so it's quite understandable that, that Jeannie might feel a little bit insecure about that. Uh, and then, then there's the relationship between Tiffany and Miss Tick, who is the witch who finds potential young witches. We met her in the last book as well. Their relationship kind of puts me in mind of that between sisters with a bit of an age gap. Uh, for example, my sister and I have about five years between us, so when I was 11, my sister seemed like she was virtually an adult, and of course I looked up to her a lot, most of the time, <laughs> because of course I was also a preteen, and therefore starting to think that I knew better than my stupid sister. And to my sister, I was a smart-ass little shit who needed bringing down a peg or two, but could also probably use some life help now and then from someone older. But, like, not too much older, you know? So it's a very, like, unique kind of dynamic there. And then, and then there's the relationship between witches and other witches. Ask any witch who's in charge, and they'll immediately inform you that there is no head witch. Mistress Weatherwax would never allow that kind of nonsense. <laughs> they live... Pretty lonely lives, so they check in on each other frequently, but they also can't be around each other too much. Uh, they gossip like mad, and they constantly meddle, partly by nature and partly because it comes with the territory. Um, they watch out for each other, and they watch each other, because, uh, quote, witches were a bit like cats. They didn't much like one another's company, but they liked to know where all the other witches were, just in case they needed them. And what you might need them for was to tell you, as a friend, that you were beginning to cackle. Unquote. Now, there's a line not long after she meets Miss Level for the first time, which almost seems like a throwaway because it's not given much attention. But if you've read anything by Terry Pratchett, you know that there are layers upon layers upon layers, and not a single line in any of these books is wasted. The line I'm referring to is this. Even if it's not your fault, it's your responsibility which is a recurring theme in so many of Terry Pratchett's novels, but it's particularly central to Tiffany's books, right? Because she's a kid. She's got so much to learn about how to be a witch and life, and she's going to make mistakes that she doesn't even realize are mistakes until it's too late. And then she has to deal with the consequences because that's what witches do. Also because, you know, that's just part of being a grown up or growing up. It also jumped out at me because if you've ever, if you've listened to as much wine and crime as I have, you might have heard Amanda Jacobson use this phrase as well. It's kind of one of her go-tos when she's talking about like mental health stuff. So Tiffany's gone to live with this witch and an entity called, oh my god, excuse me, <laughs> an entity called a hiver is trying to track Tiffany down because it wants to possess her. Um, a hiver is like a hive mind type thing. It hides in people and takes over their mind, eventually driving them insane and killing them. And it retains the memories and thoughts of everything it's ever possessed, which includes animals and stuff. Um, it's after Tiffany because it can sense she has a very powerful mind. The minds within minds, kind of, she's got her second thoughts and her third thoughts and, and all of that stuff. Um, so she also learns how witches get by without getting paid. 
some of you might have experienced this kind of thing. Uh, so these witches generally live in small rural communities where people generally don't have much money anyway. It's all favours, really, as Miss Level puts it. People give what they can when they can. So Miss Level tends to her community, people deliver food and whatever else they can spare. Miss Level redistributes whatever she doesn't need. And so it goes around and around. Before long, Tiffany starts to feel homesick. And never having been away from home before, it's not something that she's familiar with. Like, nothing she tries is working. She misses the chalk. She doesn't feel very witchy. Like, she's, she's used to being clever and a bit smarter than most people around her. And things aren't going the way that she'd expected. It kind of sounds like she's experiencing just a touch of former gifted child syndrome. Like, let's not even get into the phrase gifted child because it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. We don't like it. Um, and then to make matters even worse, while she's meeting with the coven of young witches, she mentions the hat. The one that Mistress Weatherwax gave her after she fought the fairy queen. The invisible hat. And, you know, the one that's in her head. Uh, and because children, and teens in particular, can be exceptionally cruel, everyone just laughs at her. She goes back to Miss Level's house in shame and frustration and makes the big mistake. She does the see-me trick where she leaves her body to try and see if she can still see the hat and the hiver takes that opportunity to possess her and the hiver almost completely takes over like instantly but because tiffany's mind is so layered and complicated she's able to hide within herself and sort of like keep fighting it for a while one of the first things that hiver tiffany does is um she goes to the the, the group bully and basically just press gangs her into helping her get some witchy gear when she goes to the like when she gets to the bully's house she sees like a proper lawn for the first time in her life because lawns are a rich people thing like if you could afford to give up food growing space then you must be rich and this hits really close to one of my own pet peeves i fucking hate grass berms i think they're ugly and stupid and a massive waste of space fucking hate them. Now, there's this interesting part where Miss Level compares witches with police officers. And in this very specific example that she uses, yes. But fundamentally, I think witches are the, com at least Discworld witches, are the complete opposite of police. <laughs> witches avoid using their power go most of their careers without ever needing to do serious magic. They're active in their communities and they never turn people away. Police are notoriously trigger happy both figuratively and literally. They're way too eager to use their power and it may say safer communities together on the side of the car but I can assure you that the communities who see those cars the most do not feel safer for their presence. Okay? Witches are not like police. No. <laughs> so <laughs> Tiffany goes out uh, with her new friend, steals a bunch of witchy stuff, returns to the cottage, and for a brief second is able to expel the hiver from her mind. But then one of Miss Level comes in, and the hiver, taking repossession of Tiffany, kills Miss Level. She's definitely dead, 
But again, there's two of Miss Level and the other one is in a bit of a state with her other half gone. Um, and while she's in said state, she <laughs> delivers an absolute gut punch. Everyone needs a witch. No one cares if a witch needs. Giving and giving always. A fairy godmother never gets a wish. And then I put down my book because I felt very sane and I had to have a little bit of a cry. And we will come back to this in a minute. At the end of the episode. I'll be back in a second. I'm going to just like kill this fly real quick. Sorry about that. Um, it is late February, which means it's really fucking hot right now. And so there are flies. The flies are out. They're in force. It also means that there are cicadas, which you might be able to hear in the background, maybe. A little bit. But yeah, I could hear it on the recording. It was buzzing around and annoying the fuck out of me. So I've just gone and sprayed it with a whole lot of fly spray. Anyway. So, the Fegals help Tiffany to cast out the Hiver. She resolves to go into the mountains, far away from people, and fight the Hiver, even though everyone says you can't kill it. No one's ever killed one before. No one knows if it's even possible. Mistress Weatherwax goes with her, and there's this great little like, meta bit about the kind of food that you take on adventures. So, like, bread and cheese and apples, basically. Um... <laughs> While while they're out, they talk about why the Hiver... Like, they're out there for a while. And the Hiver, like, Tiffany can sense it. She knows it's out there, but, like, it doesn't come and attack them. So they, they talk about why why that is, why it hasn't attacked yet. And Mistress Weatherwax really allows Tiffany to work through her thoughts. Which raises a really important point about giving people, um, particularly children, the space and support to formulate their thoughts and, like, fully articulate their feelings instead of just making assumptions or like cutting in and being like oh you know you must be feeling like this and blah 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 blah. just like really just like giving people space you know to to feel their feelings and to work through them and to think about them and really like work out what they're actually feeling and stuff uh, and then Petulia turns up to remind them that the witch trials are, are on because that's a thing um, it's kind of like a big fair day, uh, and a, like, like a little bit about Petulia. <laughs> she's, she's interesting. She starts every sentence with "um." I think I probably do that a little bit as well. <laughs> she's incapable of disagreeing with anyone, and will talk her way around to anyone's point of view. And Tiffany says that you couldn't help but like her, but I'm pretty sure I'd struggle to be around her. But she is also weirdly brave, and that's quite sweet, and she always wants to believe the best of people. I think I like later on Petulia um, more than I like Petulia when we first meet her. I'm like, oh my god, just just say a thing, have an opinion, and voice it, and and don't apologize for it, and just... <laughs> I just want to shake her. But she gets better. She gets, she gets pretty cool, actually. <laughs> so... Uh, where am I up to? There we go. Uh, Mistress Weatherwax tells Tiffany that she may call her Granny Weatherwax. And that is a big deal. Uh, not everyone is allowed to do that. So, they get to the witch trials and 
there have basically there have been no consequences basically for Tiffany killing one of Miss Level. Everyone's just kind of like, it wasn't you, and she's like, I don't understand. Why am I not in trouble? And like she kind of is, but it's more like she actually just is being allowed to take responsibility for everything else that's going on and like cleaning up the mess that she made. It's kind of funny. But it, it does kind of look like there have been no consequences for her, like, killing a person. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a thing. I mean, how do you punish an 11-year-old for killing someone? I, I don't even know. I don't even know how you would do that. Like, it would have to be remedial, right? You couldn't just... You can't lock up a child. Because, <laughs> uh, it's so weird. It's a weird part of the book. Whatever. Anyway. So they go, they get to the witch trials and Granny Weatherwax says something pretty important. She says, she like when she, they get there and she says, didn't used to be like this. When I was a girl, we just used to meet up in some meadow somewhere all by ourselves. But now, oh no, it has to be a grand day out for all the family. And it'd be so easy to brush this off as like a, oh, back in my day. But like, it's so much more than that. It's, it's about safe spaces and spaces created just for women or LGBTQI plus or any other minority or marginalized group being co-opted so that they're for everybody. Like, look at pride parades. They started out as a protest. And now, <laughs> and now you get the police coming and like taking part in pride parades, although not if you live in Auckland. Like, they're, they're supposed to be a... Now, they're treated like they're supposed to be a fun time out for the whole family. And so you get these, like, stupid fucking Karens, like, who took their small children along to, like, their local pride parade, and then they get on Facebook and have a bitch about dudes and sparkly G-bangers making out at their own damn parade! Like, ugh... And I think it's also worth considering that this was an event for women, which has now been co-opted to include the whole family. Like you can't, it's like you can't separate women from the family unit. They don't get to be their own person and have their own shit going on. And like I can't help but wonder if like, if the change started because those witches who had kids also had useless partners who couldn't take care of their kids alone for one night, so they had to bring their offspring with them to these witch trials. The wizards are constantly showing off to each other, and no one's trying to get it on their space. You know, like, witches try and get one day out of the year, one day out of the year, to just hang out and be witches with each other. Not nurses, not mediators, not vets, not respite care workers, not apothecaries, and they can't even get that. It has to be for the whole family. The whole community. Nobody asks what a witch needs. Maybe they would need someone who can truly appreciate everything that they do. And it gets worse. <laughs> it gets worse. Tiffany and Granny Weatherwax rock up to the gates. The gates. They're literally being gatekept at their own fucking event. Ugh. And then it gets a little bit better because Granny Weatherwax hands this pimply little shit at the gate nothing. She hands him some air saying, here's tuppence. Because fuck 
off if she's paying a single goddamn cent to enter her own event. And like at this point, I got this like the like the, the that image of Willy Wonka being like, "You get nothing, nothing." <laughs> Everybody nearby is like very tense, and she turns it into a kind of magic trick that puts everyone at ease, which is also something that women do constantly. Like, women of colour, indigenous women in particular, are very skilled at it, because we have to be. Like, we're constantly monitoring and managing the feelings of everyone around us and just keeping everything safe, right? So they go into the fairgrounds. It's full of people selling junky bullshit that has nothing to do with witching, it just looks like it to people who don't know better something something fucking tourists <coughs> cultural appropriation <coughs> the hiver turns up and Tiffany realizes what it actually wants so she shows it the way out as in she opens the door to the other side helps it through and tells it where it needs to go um, it's quite a lovely passage and I don't think I can do it justice, so I'm not going to go into it. Just read the book, okay? It's beautiful. When Tiffany comes back from showing the hider out, it's it's like a bit of a repeat of, of when she returned from Fairyland. It's kind of the same thing happening again. People don't really believe her about what happened, but this time, Granny Weatherwax has given her a real hat. Her hat. And she's done it in front of everyone, so there's no doubt this time because... Mistress Weatherwax never takes her hat off to no one. So it's a big deal. Everyone knows that something happened, even though nobody actually saw what happened. <laughs> um, but the trials go ahead anyway. And a lot of people, like, it's the whole point of the trials, the witch trial, is witches gathering to just, like, have fun and show off for each other. They're like, hey, here's this cool trick that I've just mastered. And it's just fun. It's just fun, yeah. It's it's like a loose competition. There's no like judging panel, but also it's definitely a contest. <laughs> so they go ahead, uh, and it's kind of a little bit awkward considering what just happened. But uh, lots of people want Tiffany to kind of stand up and tell her side of what just happened to like take Mistress Weatherwax down a peg. And a lot of people want Granny Weatherwax to do the same thing and take Tiffany down a peg because she's like this jumpy little upstart. And it's this classic case of like trying to pit women against each other because God forbid we all flourish and support each other to do so. Can't be having that. <sighs> I think the idea of witchy paraphernalia is something that comes up throughout this book and the next one. And... One of the things that, that Tiffany always comes back to is the black dresses. Because she doesn't really wear black. And it gets noticed that she doesn't. For now, she prefers to wear blues and greens. But she does concede that when she's, quote-unquote, old, she'll wear Midnight. Which is the name of, uh, not the next book, but the one after. It'll be I, I Shall Wear Midnight. It's a bit cool. Uh, she returns Granny Weatherwax's hat, saying that she needs to find her own. And Granny Weatherwax tells her that things aren't important. People are. That's another thing that kind of carries through all of these books, which is pretty cool. And then Tiffany goes home, briefly, for the lambing season. And she did go back better than she left. 
So the next episode we have The Wintersmith. Uh, these books are pretty short, like, so these episodes are, are short, and I think I'm getting better at, at cutting down my waffling a little bit. Um, but yes, yeah, so we have we have The Wintersmith next, which I'm very much looking forward to talking about. And since the episode is half written already, hopefully I won't be scrabbling at the end of the month to get it up. So if you have enjoyed this trip to the Femporium, please subscribe, go give me a quick iTunes rating or review, tell your friends and family about it. Support for this podcast comes entirely from you, the listeners, and me. Aside from telling people about me, you can also support me on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Cover art is by me. Production and editing are also by me. You can follow me on Twitter at fem underscore podcast, F-E-M-M-E underscore podcast. And if you want to get in touch, you can email me at femfnpodcast at gmail.com. F-E-M-M-E-F-N-podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Matewa.